Nathalie Claude, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Julie Lorrain, yay, happy to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you, and it's going to be very weird um, because we are two Francophones, two Canadian Francophones, talking to each other in English. That's awesome. So already that's going to be a little bit bizarre, and I can already hear my mother kind of saying, why aren't they just speaking in French? You know? Well, I don't know, Mia. Uh, I, so you're joining me. Yes. Yes, you're joining me from Montreal. Absolutely. Montreal. Yes. Montreal, Quebec. Montreal. Okay. Yes. And Nathalie Claude, on your bio, on your website, it says, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what I wrote from your website. Mm -hmm. It says, you are an actor, a director, a dancer, a choreographer, a writer, a musician, a clown, a coach, and a dramaturge. You fill a lot of roles in the creative industry, don't you? I guess I do. Uh, you know, um, I've always had a thing uh, about my work from a very early time, which was to make sure I don't stay waiting by the phone for someone to call me, contact me and say, hey, I have a, you know, a job for you. I have a job for an actress or whatever. And very early, um, I decided that I wanted to have a lot of uh, possibilities. And I guess that what happened also was that my curiosity, my artistry, my wishes, my dreams, my, I would say, imagination needed uh, a lot of uh, avenues and that's what I did and I'm happy I did it like that because one uh, road leads to another one one um, uh, one aspect uh, fills the next one and they are really interconnected and I love all these uh, categories and it's very important to me yeah, that was my, my next question was whether or not you prefer doing one or the other, because a lot of artists, you know, they are either painters and musicians, but they really prefer maybe making music or they are directors and they're also photographers and they would prefer doing photography. Uh, do you have one that you tend to lean towards um, more often? For sure, I would say, number one, uh, I'm an actress, I'm a performer, I'm someone who really thrives on live, uh, on stage, that's my place, that's my universe, that's where I stand, uh, that's where my feet and my soul and my body feels the most connected as a performer, as an actress on stage. Um, and I would say uh, directing, creating, it's another thing that I absolutely adore is to be um, designing, thinking, researching, creating uh, a project as the director of that project. It's something that um, brought me a lot of satisfaction, joy. Uh, it's very scary to do that. It's very intimate and uh, very fulfilling. And I love the energy and the drive that it gives me. So I would say those two are my main... There's something really... Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, sorry. There's a bit of a lag for for our listeners, so it's a little. It's, this interview is a little bit complicated in terms of that scope, but we'll we'll manage, I'm sure. No, I, I was going to say, Natalie, is that um, there is really something about being on stage. I think, like you like you're saying, you know, being a director, bringing the creative vision to a project, isn't really yet quite the same as being the one who's in front of the audience, right? Absolutely. It's not the same thing. And it's a very different angle. Of course, in my practice, one thing I've done a lot is to um, direct my own self. (laughs) That's also another aspect of what I've did a lot is to be uh, directing what I'm performing or uh, I did it with other actors. So not just a solo project, but directing something where I'm in it but also I'm outside of it. And I did also the absolute uh, outside of a show. I'm not part of the show and I'm really directing, which is um, another thing. But um, there are different um, aspects of the, of the work for sure. It's not the same. And as an actor, I would say there's a different relationship with the director. Uh, at some point, the director has to leave, has to let go, has to say, voila, the job is done. Now the actors take the material, take everything, assimilate, digest, and it's their show. So there's always this passage at some point where the director has to let go and it's it's in your hands at that point as a as an actor as a performer and i think it's a very precious thing to have in your hands i love that feeling that confidence that it's like here's the beautiful little baby hold it and now let it grow and i trust you and i go away it's an important process in uh, the theater work that i do and that i've experienced many times and I have a lot of um, respect for that. Out of curiosity, have you done any work with film? Yes. You mean as a performer or as a director? As a performer, yes. Uh, as I would say, both. As a, as a director, I would say uh, it's something that I had in my mind forever in a day. I just never did the you know, did the step to do it. But I, being myself, I think a very visual person, meaning um, my, uh, my, my shows, my design, my, my imagery, the way I conceive things, the way I think of a project is very visual. Um, I'm very picky with everything, with color, with uh, texture, with all the details that make um, a piece of art so it's something I would love to do one day I just don't know if I will but I think I will it's just it never um, happened fully that I had the possibility and I would love to and I actually um, would love to yeah it's a, and it's and that's a whole other world too is um you know because on stage as a performer you're feeding off the audience when you're doing a film uh, you know working on a film set it's very different because you you're not really impressing anybody or you're not um getting the energy of the of an audience you're getting really the energy of your crew so i think that's a whole other world that you would end up exploring 
Absolutely, and and the object, the art object, is outside of you. It's there, and you can watch it and watch it again and work on it and refine and details and details. And then there's the whole editing that you know takes a long time, and you can fuss and fuss, which I love, and you know very uh, to perfection. And then it's out there, and it's outside of you, and it has its own life completely. And people can experience it, and you're not even there, which is very different. <laughs> to what I do because I truly am a theater artist. It sounds to me. Theater. Yeah, it sounds to me Natalie like you're you have a side of you that's a bit of a perf- perfectionist. You're really really centered on the quality of your work and is that something that came easily when you were young or is that something that you developed over time? I think it was there pretty early. I don't have any psychological reason for it other than I've been like that for a very long time. I would have to say that some aspect of it can be tiring. I put a lot of pressure on myself, um, but I love precision. And I always felt as an artist um, that uh, limitation, uh, framing things, details, uh, structure make me uh, so much more creative. I am not scared of that. To the contrary, uh, when I frame myself as an artist a bit, of course, I'm not talking about uh, something, you know, just a bit, uh, I feel way more free. Let's say some director uh, goes, hey, Let's improvise on this subject. Do whatever you want. I find that very hard. If a director says, let's improvise with this structure, this is the start, this is the beginning, and inside that uh, improvisation, you have to uh, you know, touch this subject and this and that, and then go. Already, uh, something might uh, come from that way quicker and yeah, so there's a freedom in that. And for me, there's a joy. I thrive on precision. It's funny because we, sorry, Nat, no <laughs> again, we're, we're having issues with the, with the lag here. But uh, yeah, uh, it's. I was just going to say, it's funny because um, I, I interviewed your wife, Julie McInnes, and that's mm. exactly what we talked about was how creativity tends to thrive within a certain set of boundaries yeah. that, um, you know, a lot of artists get lost they get lost when there's too many um, constraints and when there aren't enough. Because I find, at least for me personally as an artist, having, like you said, a little bit of boundaries gives me a challenge. And I really like that aspect, the challenging aspect. Is that something that you like to do to yourself as an artist? Do you sometimes challenge yourself with your own boundaries? Do you sometimes impose like kind of creative challenges on yourself to grow? Well, of course, you know, in some ways, sometimes I don't realize it, and sometimes it's very, very clear. Um, you know, I, I've, I've created some work, uh, you know, for, for example, simply out of an object, you know. I put this object in my hands and went, okay, this has power, this has something, and that's the start, and I'm stuck with it, and I have to use that. You know what I mean? So it could be as simple as that, and it could be very complex, and I have a lot, a lot of layers. But yes, I think I do challenge myself, and I have this um, 
yeah, this this annoying, but uh, that's me. It's me and myself. This rigor that I I thrive on. So um, uh, yeah, I like to fuss, and for me, the details are little droplets of poetry that I infuse. And every choice for me uh, has a repercussion to another aspect of a piece of art that I'm working on. And the details, I find them touching in art and I find them touching in humanity and I find them touching in nature. And um, the details are what sums it up and becomes a whole. So I, I love this obsession with details because for me, it's life. It's life. That's a beautiful way to explain it. If you tend to fuss over things a lot, mm. which I totally get, um, but when do you know when something is really finished? Uh, bizarrely, I don't have a problem to go, that's it. So that's a good thing. I'm happy about that. I can really let go at some point and just decide it's done, voila. And I'm not gonna, I'm not the kind of artist who will go back and change everything or doubt everything. I have a mind setting that um, for me, creating is all about making decisions. That's it, it's just decisions. This or that, that or this, this word, this gesture, this costume, this material, this music at that moment, uh, that that silence, and then when it's done, I don't I don't touch it anymore. I tend to stop and let go. So far, that's what I've been doing. I <laughs> Um, I would be very remiss in um, not talking about structure without bringing up the fact that you did work for Cirque du Soleil at one point in your life. Mm -hmm. You you played a male clown, yep. which already was a, a very different character for Cirque. Uh, did you thrive in in that kind of environment where you know it's big production, big lights, big teams, um, you know, professional costumes? Did you find that that kind of environment was good for you? Uh, listen, this question is a tricky one. Yes and no. This is my answer. Yes and no. Yes, because um, it was an amazing opportunity. When uh, you are part of a creation at Cirque du Soleil, you are surrounded by extremely talented people. Uh, at the start of creation, you are in it. It's huge. There's a lot of beautiful minds, a lot of beautiful wishes. They have the means or they add the means. <laughs> Let's not talk about uh, Soleil now. But uh, so, yes, it's very invigorating. It's amazing. And uh, when I joined, uh, I was very happy because it was at that time in my life uh, exactly it was fitting for me. I was tired of doing 25 different projects to uh, to uh, make sure I survive as an artist. And also uh, my head was so full of so many creations and so many different things. Being a teacher, being a coach, an artistic coach, being an actress, directing something, doing a cabaret, doing an MC job for um, a, a festival. So all these things were great. But at that point, I was a bit tired and I went, okay, that's cool. This offer comes and I can focus on one thing, which is performance. 
performing. I'm a performer. I felt very at ease with the offer of being a male clown. It's something I've done a lot of drag before, and I really enjoyed that. I, I played a lot of male characters before for... Um, uh, comical uh, projects, but also uh, serious ones. Like I played in a Shakespeare when I was younger and I played a big dramatic role and it was very illuminating to be able to play male roles. But to answer your question, the other side of it, no. I didn't feel at ease in such a big thing over time. I love my theater world. I love the intimacy I love the collaboration with the other actors, with the designers. And this kind of show after the creation is kind of leaving on a train in a way. It's an image and it's gone in the universe. And then you travel and you perform hundreds and hundreds of shows. And for me, artistically, it didn't have, it didn't sustain me and didn't nourish me enough. And um, so I felt really out of my uh, world at some point and I had to come back to theater to my roots and to collaboration and to a smaller scale uh, as well something uh, quite different and I'm very glad I did the experience that's where I met my amazing wife Julie McInnes and that was extraordinary chance to perform with her for years to see her perform to be together inside that but then at some point I had to come back home, not just home for my home, but home to my art, which is truly a theater. Yeah, and Montreal is um, a very, very special city. Um, you know, I moved to Montreal for three years. I lived there for three years from Ottawa. I've, I've moved back to Ottawa. And I think you only really appreciate Montreal once you've left. Um, did you find that that was the case for you? Did you find that at a certain point you were kind of, you know, enjoying yourself with Cirque Soleil, maybe touring the world and things like that? But when you came back, you had a different appreciation, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I traveled a lot. We had, you know, amazing experience and all that. But when I came back and... I was very happy to be back home and I missed it. And it's perfect like that. It's the best way to miss something. It's remove it from, you know, your reach. And um, I even missed the snow. Strangely enough, at that point, I had I was over it. I was like, okay, oof, the winter is long. It's tough. And then I started to miss it because I was away from it. Barely saw snow in the three years I was at Cirque. Uh, got to experience winter that is more like Vancouver style or Seattle, which is a lot of gray sky, a lot of cold rain. And suddenly um, uh, I started to miss the snowflakes and uh, the blue skies of Montreal in winter because we do have a lot of light, even though we have a lot of snow. And I remember when I came back after the three years in my headphones on the plane, I put um, Robert Charlebois, Je reviendrai à Montréal. And it's a beautiful song about returning to Montreal. And I think I had a couple of tears in my eyes. And yeah, to leave makes you appreciate what you've missed. And I left also my art and I came back and I was like a wolf. When I came back in 2015, I felt so famished for theater, for collaboration, and for the work I love. 
It's funny you say that Robert Charlebois, because I, for me, it was Ginette Renault. I would just put on Ginette Renault and I would be like, oh, yeah, Montreal, you know. Um, it's, uh, you know, the other thing about Montreal is that it's within Quebec. And what I found absolutely fascinating about living in Montreal is the Quebec culture, the Quebec arts scene, the Quebec theater scene, the film structure, the kind of mini Hollywood that occurs within Quebec. Yeah which you don't see anywhere else in Canada. And one of the things I've been wanting to do with this podcast is invite more Quebec uh, performers and artists to the show because English Canada doesn't know who you are. Yeah. Um, how do you feel as a, as a Quebec artist? Uh, do you feel like you're closed off from the rest of Canada and perhaps even from the rest of the world? Or do you like that kind of scene? Well, it's both. I love that kind of scene. I love the Montreal-Quebec scene, francophone and all that. But I would say, I have to say that I am a peculiar one inside the pot. I am extremely um, bilingual I, I speak English the best I can. I write in English. I performed in English a lot. And I worked a lot and collaborated with a lot of Anglophone artists in Quebec and in Toronto. Uh, so I've been, I've been out there because of maybe uh, a love I have for language. I truly have a love of language since a very long time. Funny enough, I was uh, raised by my parents, very Quebecer, nationalist, uh, separatist at the time, kind of both speaking very well English, but both going like, you know, um, that's bullshit and, you know, never encouraging necessarily us to, to speak the language. I failed my English at, at high school. Uh, it was a very hard moment because all my friends went to Vancouver on a trip. I was the only one who didn't go. And what changed that is suddenly I got, um, to, uh, I got invited to start uh, as a professional actress at 19 year old in Montreal, I was invited to join a company, Omnibus and Tour. And uh, one of the first tour I did with them, we went to uh, Vancouver, Winnipeg. And I remember there was um, a theater company from South Africa and one from London. And these people were the coolest. And when I saw them, I think at that point I was 19, when I met them and I had this this barrier of language and all my life, I, you know, as a, as a teenager, I was very shy to speak English. And suddenly something clicked in my head. I went, this is what I need to do. I want to communicate. I want to talk to these people. I want to exchange. I want to know. And it switched. And from there, I, I really opened up and I've, um, I've learned, um, for many years, I studied Spanish. Uh, I went to Spain at some point to study when I was younger, and then Italian. And I, I wish I could speak ten language. Really, uh, I think it's just a question of uh, time and uh, energy. But truly, it's something I would love is to, you know, more and more. I would like to really uh, learn well Italian and then move on to another one. I love words. I love language, I love voices, I love communicating, and um, so, yeah. And But in Montreal, I would say one thing that happened with me as an artist is that very quickly I felt I want to communicate with my work. I want to make sure anybody is not left 
on the side and cannot understand me. I'm talking about my personal work of created my own creation. And I really started to develop a way of writing. I think that is something I've done a lot is bilingual writing of my text for theater. And often when I did it, I did it for my solos. I did it for a vaudeville that I wrote for um, a sapphic cabaret that I, I wrote for for many years, little vaudeville plays. Um, and every time I did this kind of writing and work for, for theater, uh, I try to not have a ratio of English and French that is equal. Let's say I don't translate everything I say in French or in English. I just switch from one to the next. And then that's it. And I started to have a lot of pleasure with that, with suddenly having in my vaudeville an English character who appears. And then everybody starts to talk a bit in English with it and then move back to French and then more English and the same with my solo work. It's like a minding, maybe it's very Montreal and I never thought about that, but maybe my writing for these solos and all that is very Montreal or because for me this franglais is beautiful, I love it. And also um, in theater, inside the theater world of Montreal, I really feel a fracture between the French and the Anglophone and I, it saddens me. I was lucky enough to perform with them and invite them in my work. And, but I feel this fracture and I don't like it. It's something that I would love to merge more, but I was really uh, lucky to be able to uh, have friends in, in all these realities and invite them with me to, to play. I, I did a show um, in Montreal many years ago in 2004, as an example. Um, it was a show with a friend dancer, Lynn Snelling, amazing dancer, amazing choreographer and teacher now at university uh, in, um, is it Edmonton? Sorry, Lynn, if I'm not uh, doing the, you know, the saying the right thing. So I did this show with Lynn Snelling and she came to me with a book of Nancy Houston, great writer. Uh, who is from Canada, English-speaking, and now lives in Paris and writes in French. Already very interesting story of her work and her life. And she came uh, to me with this book called Limbo, and it's uh, a text about uh, inspired by turning around the universe, the world uh, of Samuel Beckett, theater writer, and she wrote the book, one page in English, one page in French. That's how Nancy Houston devised the book. It's a little booklet. To the left, I think it's the English, and then to the right, it's the French. And when you read both at the same time, one after the next, it's not at all the same translation. It's two universe parallel, similitude, but she doesn't go word to word. And when Lynn came with this book, she said, could we do something with that? And and we just went, okay, I agreed. I was like, this is beautiful, a beautiful language. And Lynn being a dancer, me being an actress, uh, and we decided to, uh, to work with all these differences and to join forces in this play. So it's the kind of work that I, I love. And I have to mention a person in my life that also created that openness in my head about doing theater or doing this kind of live theater 
uh, and not needing to have only one aspect of the language is Paula de Vasconcelos, which was the director of a company in Montreal called Pigeon International. And I remember seeing her work before having the chance to work with her for many, many, many years. I remember seeing her work and suddenly a character came. So all the characters are speaking French. It's a beautiful show, very visual, very physical. And then suddenly this character comes in, Lenny Parker, amazing friend and actress. Uh, and she speaks in English. And nobody, um, you know, nobody change anything. She just starts speaking in English inside this Quebec creation of a beautiful show. And that's it. And Paula always used that and played with that with uh, within her shows. And that was a big influence in my work, I would say. Yeah, I think for people who are not in Quebec, um, this is actually a really big deal in Quebec theater to throw in some English in a, in an otherwise francophone uh, show. So, but also, like you said, not Nathalie, it's a, it's, it's very Montreal, you know, it just makes sense in a way to have that kind of bilingualism, but I find that approach very, um, very interesting. So I'm really glad that you're doing it. Um, so I guess it isn't, uh, I guess doing that makes it more accessible also to, um, perhaps Anglophone theater audience. Yeah, and, and when I did these pieces, uh, for example, the, the solo, um, it was also um, often in a context of a cabaret or um, a festival. Uh, because those pieces were short, uh, I wanted to make sure that everybody uh, was, was having um, fun. <laughs> watching it and because I love to play with words even though I'm a very physical actress always extremely physical but I love to have language inside the work it was a way to 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 go okay well everybody in the room will have and figure out something out there and that's what happened and it also allowed me to to travel a lot with my solos um managed to go a lot in uh, usa mainly in new york city i did all my short solo in new york i went in europe in slovenia in berlin i managed to go also uh, almost every year to toronto quite often um, at Bodies in Bad Time Theatre. So I, I really created a relationship with the theatre through Moynan King, who was an associate artist there and um, artistic director of the Hysteria Festival. So these things allowed me to move around and uh, it uh, doesn't take away anything from um, the pure joy and the, the pride of doing a show all in French and loving it and you know it's for me it's just another aspect of my work that is very me and yes very connected to where i live montreal being this city multicultural and my experience with my friends who are from all around and speaking many different languages that sounds also like a very savvy approach, like you said, to, to kind of widen the audience base mm -hmm. and the opportunities for you. Mm -hmm. There's a book that I've been meaning to read. I think it's called The Death of the Artist. I have to look up the title again to be sure. But essentially, it's a professor of English who uh, interviewed a whole lot of, of artists. And he uh, wrote a book pretty much out of concern for the fact that artists, especially today, are having a, a tough time because of big te big technologies taking away you know their jobs or it, they're expecting artists to work more for free 
Do you find now that you're having to become more of a business person in order to survive? No. <laughs> That's my answer. No. Um, I, th yeah. I think uh, I'm a purist, maybe. I'm a dreamer. Uh, and even though, yes, um, it's complicated, it's demanding you have to sell your product more than years ago when you were producing a show um there's you know you see it in tv like you need to have the stars to be in the show if not it's gonna it's not gonna sell as much and you know all that but i don't feel i'm trapped inside that the only thing is that i wish i had money fall from the sky to do my projects right <laughs> Really, um, what's hard for me, um, I find, and what I find heavy is is the financing and how to get the money to do the things and to be able to live with that and work and pay everybody. That's complex, but um, no, I don't feel I'm swallowed by it. It's like... Okay, I had to ask just because technology is such a it's such a big deal these days, right? Mm -hmm. um, ha have you found in any way that technology has made your life a little bit easier? Sorry, uh, the voice was a bit distorted. Have I found my life easier? No, have you found that uh, technology has made your life easier? Has it helped you in any way? Have have there been any? advancements in technology that have um, made your work easier to do? Uh, for sure, the communication. For sure, my phone is my best friend to learn lines, for example. I can record myself and it's there and I have it uh, for, uh, for communication, for internet searching, for um, all this. But um, I... I would say that I like to think of my work as something more uh, crafty and like bricolage, you know, something you do with your hands. And and I say that and, you know, I, I did a whole show with robots that were created by a robotechnician. And that was a very big project for me. And yes, this one was a show that I wanted to do. And it was impossible to not do it without technology, without the help of someone who can think and uh, uh, realize this wish I had that I thought was impossible uh, as a theater artist to have with me live human-sized robots performing with me on stage. And it was my wish to try to do a solo and not be alone. And technology in that case was my friend. I would say that's the time in my work that I was the closest to technology. And it gave me a lot. And it was an amazing experience. But other than that, I would have to say that right now, I'm a bit, um, I wish I could take my computer and burn it often i wish i could disconnect myself <laughs> from uh social media from news from constant you know and i do miss 
um, researching in a book, in an encyclopedia, and I hate myself to write on the computer now. Years ago, when I was writing a lot, uh, I was always writing with a pen and paper, and recently inside the rehearsal project, I ended up writing again with a pen and paper and realizing the beauty of it, the simplicity of it, and you don't write the same way. So I would say I am a bit tortured with technology. I love uh, some aspect of it, but some other aspect, I'm fighting against it. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I can totally relate. I'm actually writing with a, with a pen right now and a piece of paper as I take notes. I had my entire podcasting schedule on a written calendar, after which, after a month, I was like, I, this is too hard. I have to do it on, on, on the computer. I have no choice now, you yeah. know? So it's, it's just how it is. Technology is a bit of a, it's, it's a boom and a bust in, in a way. It's amazing you know? and um, it sucks. It's really both. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, can we talk about clowning just for a minute? Yes. Because you are somebody who has a lot of experience in that field. I'm someone who dabbled in it. I had a horrible, horrible experience and after which I pretty much left the entire field of, of clowning. It's a tough world for, well, for clowns in general, but especially for women in clowning, I find. Yeah. Uh, do you want to comment on that? I don't have a specific question, but do you have anything to say in regards to that? Well, for sure, a funny woman is a very scary thing. In general, in our society, women in general is a scary thing. And um, it's, 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 it's awful. <laughs> but a funny woman uh, is very explosive and dangerous for some reason. And you need to be very strong and you need to have a lot of guts to push and push and push. And I have a lot of respect for um, women who do it and push the envelope because uh, it's, it's important, number one. And it's so much fun. And I feel blessed that I managed to, uh, um, to work with this, this humor, this, this uh, quality inside my work. And um, it's something that I didn't see coming. It just appeared. Uh, I didn't even name it. I'm a clown. I was just going inside an energy that I thought was uh, nice. I've always worked with the idea in my creations that to attack something funny has to be linked to tragedy. It has to have roots inside trauma, uh, pain, fear, uh, and then it can be funny. And um, it's, it helped me a lot. I did my funniest work, um, I think, I, I, I think, uh, in link with the death of my parents, both of them. I created a solo. I didn't plan this. I was invited to create something. The first solo I created in 1999 uh, I was asked to do something. I was pushed to do something by Miriam Ginestier, director, artistic director of Studio 303 in Montreal. And she, she said, Nathalie, why don't you do something? 
the first time I really did a piece. And my father just died. And I just went, okay. And I knew it was going to be funny because it's a tendency I have in my work. It's beyond my control. It's There's something funny coming out. So I had to embrace this side of me very early on. And uh, so on. I And that's how I, I created this sadness trilogy uh, based on extremely tragic events so that's one aspect that for me is very important is where does it come from is it i'm just drawing is it because women have a lot of pain inside not being considered the 50 percent of this planet that make them good clown because i think female clowns are amazing and they're very strong and um we need them around us and we need that point of view right but truly clown the clown world came to me really um in an unexpected way but still to this day i consider myself an actress that has this clown friend right there beside me but i don't have one clown i don't have per se the classic that's my character this is her name this is a costume no i just have let's say some aspect of my work i've always been very close to buffon to clown and they come sometimes together but i would say it's multiple it's not one thing right and funny enough i ended up being a clown coach at Soleil for many years, way before uh, they asked me to perform with them. It was something else that came in my life in different different circumstances. And um, so I was doing that. Uh, and it was a very, very um, interesting work. And uh, to meet all these clowns that were often in creation, inside the creation, um, and there's always a moment where the directors were losing their confidence in their clowns because humor is so subjective and they were not finding it funny. They were insecure. They were like, I don't know. I don't like what they're doing. Can you help? And the humor aspect and, and the, 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 the reaction, you need an audience and you need to trust. You need to trust uh, these performer with their ways, with their rhythm, and you have to try it out in front of an audience. That's the only way to know. So it's a mix of trusting them, but also uh, uh, facing an audience. That's the only way. I uh, I remember contacting you at one point. I don't remember how or why, but well, actually, I remember why. It was because I was experiencing a bit of a dead period in terms of creativity. And I remember writing to you because I, I thought, oh, maybe not. You know, Nat Natalie has such a perceptive feeling, a good gut in, in terms of, you know, the creative process and all that stuff. And I guess I, I want to ask you, how do you deal with, you know, there are times you're not always creative. You're not always on the go. You're not always hot. You know, there's mm -hmm. times when there's dead periods. How do you deal with that? How do you get yourself out of this kind of rut that I think every artist experiences at one point or another? Well, I, I would say um, 
you know it's it's pushing pushing um it's really a relationship between between yourself and yourself. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's about finding a way to push the button again and trying to force force you to sit down with a pen to write. Uh, it, it's about finding a way to push the energy and go. Okay, let's go. This project has been in my head for so long. Um, it's tough. It's tough because moments of pure uh, impossibility of, 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 of stopping and thinking and organizing your thoughts happen all the time. I have the problem of having too many ideas and I have so many projects in my head, so many projects that are there waiting and uh, it's, it's, um, it's mind-boggling. Uh, uh, you have to have um, a way to talk to yourself out of it. Sometimes it works. I have to say that during pandemic times, it's tough. I found I had a hard time uh, getting this artist outside of me and going, okay, Natalie, let's do it. But um, I was uh, lucky enough to um, share, I am lucky enough to share my life with a, a, an artist and it's been helpful to work together. We did music together during the pandemic. We are, um, she, she's, she paints a lot, she draws a lot and it, it suddenly made me realize that I was missing doing that. So I, I, I started just for pure fun uh, doing that myself in my own way. So it's really finding ways to tickle the artist inside and lure like a carrot on the sticks and how to uh, to provoke something. I have a tendency maybe to, uh, you know, buy a book about a subject that I find interesting and I kind of feel, I have a feeling that this book will bring me to a path or to... Um, to a project. So I trick myself with that. I buy myself that book and I go, oh, why don't you look at that? And then suddenly something happened. That's how I created the solo I was telling you, Le Salon Tomate with uh, automatons. I saw this book in the library outside. I just saw in the in the window and it was The History of Automatons, a big, big book that was normally $200 and it was on sale for 40 I think. And I just look at the title, the, the History of Automatons, 1850-something, and I just opened the book and looked at some images, and there you go. I, I, I dedicated um, years of my life to this project. So you have to trick yourself. You have to put little carrots all around, and then sometimes you're going to go, oh, and you're going to take it, and sometimes you won't. And then you just go take a walk and go to the country. What did you... <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. Go to nature, That's right? It. It's... Uh, what... What? Um, did you grow up in Montreal, Natalie? No, I grew up in suburbia in Laval. In Laval, okay. So when you were young, uh, I'm assuming you, you, you wanted to be an artist. I heard the story is that I was... Four, and I was crying in my bed telling my mom, I want to be an actress. I want to do theater. I have no idea why, <laughs> but that's what she told me. So yes, it was a very, very early um, call for the arts for myself. Yes. 
Okay, so you're that that four or five year old wants to be an actress, wants to be an artist. Um, how did you? This is a it's a very long question, and we don't, we don't have that much time left. But I'm really curious. I have to ask because you know I I grew up in a very small town, and one of the things is you know you have this calling, you have this this desire to create. How do you go from being young to working to some of the best in in the industry, like what are some things that you would say to a young girl out in Laval right would, now who wants to be an actress? I would say be curious, be curious, be curious. I would say read, uh, go see films, go see films from different uh, time in history. Uh, I would say really, really um, uh, open up your horizon. Uh, don't decide that it's one thing because there's always something else that would bring somewhere you somewhere else that you didn't expect. Um, for me, it's it's what saved me is my curiosity, I think, because it made me go further in my research. Uh, and one thing is linking to another one. I would say travel, travel if you can, um, you know, uh, and follow your instincts, of course, but open up your world, like open it up, grab from everything you can. If you want to do, let's say, I'm theater artist, you want to do theater, read all the poetry you can, read literature, go to museum, go see dance, take dance classes, movement classes, go in the wild, walk in the forest, like truly, if, that's me that's my experience and that's what happened and i'm so blessed that that's how things happen i kind of said yes basically to a lot of things and i followed the tracks of my curiosity um and i was very curious and i still am very curious yeah do you have a a very kind of childlike approach to life, which is something I've always appreciated since since I've met you, is that you have a very kind of whimsical, like you said, curiosity about how the world works and what you don't know about the world. You tend to run towards it, I find. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say, yes, I love, I love life. And um, I love the poetry of the nothingness, the little things that surprise you in a everyday very simple things that come. And um, all my life, I will be uh, looking for where beauty is. Uh, beauty can grow from shit, and it's beautiful. <laughs> and I'm uh, looking for for um, some sort of magic. And um, I love the, the, the communication, the... the um, the, the exchange with human beings and that's why I like my work because that's the part I love is to be with people to work with people to perform in a room in this ritual which is called theater or dance or and it's it's something that we both decide you are the audience I am the performer we decide that we are going to share together we're going to share this space this moment we're going to listen to what's going on and get touched or not touched we're gonna get this vibration going so for me this is life life is that is us on that planet and what we do of it and this communication this connection with human beings and for me um 
art is a major uh, thing because it elevates us. It's my religion, if you want. It's my croyance. It's the way I think. And we need to be told stories. And we need to hear stories through visual, through painting, through storytelling, through music. But it's about being told something. And it's very interesting to have the point of view of an artist given to you because this is a filter. This is a filter that comes from this entire human being, what they experienced, what they saw, what they smelled, where did they go, how did they grow up? And then you have a chance to have this little gem of a exchange. They are giving you this little um, part of themselves. And I find that quite beautiful. I'm just going to pause a little bit here because that was actually really beautiful of you to say. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so I <laughs> I wanted to know, uh, we have a few minutes left, about five minutes left. And I know that you have been with uh, Momentum. Yeah. So that's a theater company that you've been involved with for a while. Um, what What's on the What's on your plate nowadays? What are you working on? Well, right now I'm working on uh, Sorrow because <laughs> I all the projects were cancelled uh, or po- postponed. So for sure, uh, I would I have to tell you that I had um, this year coming, the biggest year uh, as a performer coming my way. And unfortunately, because of the pandemic, everything is... Uh, as is not what it was supposed to be. But uh, I do have a lot of beautiful projects coming. I just don't know when they're going to come as a performer. Beautiful creations coming. I'm, I'm right now um, working on a creation from a young director, and we are meeting once in a while, slowly working our way to this project. I have these three other creations of theater that will have to wait, but it's on the on the burner, let's say. It's postponed until the day we'll be able to perform again. Um, yesterday, I just finished shooting uh, a theater show inside a theater with no audience because we did it to preserve the show and to use it to sell the show. Uh, I was... I was lucky this summer to do a lot of little shootings. I did. I was part of a feature film uh, playing an elephant in the woods, which was awesome. I was part of short films playing a clown <laughs> inside this be- beautiful little project with circus artists. Uh, so I've been having these little contracts shooting as an actress. And for the part of creating and creation, as I said, I have a pile of projects beside me that I have to start. I have a, a short film uh, that I'm trying to uh, write, uh, a collaboration with Julie McInnes that we're trying to write, um, and um, a book that I, I'm planning to write since uh, since 53 years. I'm 53, so there's this book um that i'm planning to write that is there and there's all this many others so let's say i'm actually not busy busy in the concrete because everything right now is frozen but just me along with my pen and paper and there's a lot that can happen so i hope that 
I can't even imagine. You're you're the type of person, like you said earlier, is that you have so many ideas, you want to get them all down, you know? And I don't know if I will have time. (laughs) So I would imagine, yeah, for somebody like you, yeah, well, (laughs) that's the thing is that uh, for somebody like you, this pandemic is no... It's not a wall. It's a it's a it's a legitimate kind of break to actually put down on paper all the stuff that you've had and in your you head. You're right because that's the positive for me for the pandemic. I was supposed to be so busy, so busy, and now I have time for my own project, and I have to um, kick myself and do it because this is a privilege, and it's the time right now to do that and be more internal and work on that and i have the time and i have less uh, pressure and less stress um the quality of light is different um there's enormous anxiety because of what we are in but i have time which is gold so that's what i'm planning to do is to read a lot write a lot and play a lot and while we can. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, on that note, I encourage everybody to go out and read a lot, write a lot, and especially play a lot. I think we all need a lot more play in our lives. Nathalie Claude, merci mille fois. I really, really appreciate having you on the the program. Um, I hope that you come back, especially after you launch your book. That would be a great, uh, great way to to do this again. That'd be great. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Julie Lorrain. Uh, Really a pleasure to be here today with you. Thank you. (laughs) 